You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. All right. Today we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And here's our big idea for today. Jesus builds his church and gifts her shepherds who will guard and care for her. Jesus builds his church and gifts her shepherds who will guard and care for her. So far in this letter, to his young friend Timothy, Paul has warned of false teachers. He reminded Timothy of the gospel and its ability to save both him and his hearers, including those false teachers that Timothy has been sent to confront and correct. He connected prayer for all people with the effectiveness of God's good news and His Word as well. Two weeks ago, we looked at the responsibility of men and women. Now, it was not a long list of responsibilities that we were given Uh, But we did learn that both men and women have important roles in the, the life of the church that are unique. Some of them are connected, some of them are the same, and some of them are unique. And yet, neither of those overarching roles are superior to one another. So from there, it could be a little bit confusing about what Paul is leading us towards. And what I mean is this, we have to remember that this is a letter. Now, if you got a letter in the mail, I can speak for Hermanus and say it would be about 21 to 90 days late. Sorry, that's a mail joke. My mother was a postmaster, so she would have appreciated a mail joke, but I'll keep moving. That's not the point. If you received a letter in the mail, you would sit down and you would read the whole thing. You would read the whole thing, and you would read it all understanding that the sender probably had a lot of different ideas that were all connected somehow. Primarily, they were all connected because they were ideas and words meant for you to see and to read. So everything in this letter is from the leading of the Holy Spirit to Paul's mind, to his hand, and now... To Timothy's eyes and ears. Which means that even though it's really easy, and we do this a lot, and I hope that we do it well, it's best not to take one sentence or one verse and use it apart from the other verses or sentences that are written in the letter. If we do that, then we will not understand what Paul has been given to say, and what Timothy has been given to hear. You could say, yes, Wade, blah, 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 blah. It's a letter. I get it. You talk about these things being letters all the time, okay? But it is important, okay? Because as we've moved into chapter 2, we went from hearing about false teachers, bad preachers, agents of Satan in the world, to hearing about how people are supposed to act. Specifically, how people are supposed to act in the church. 
Don't misunderstand me. I don't mean how someone is supposed to act at church on a Sunday. How someone is supposed to act in the household that we know of as the church. Right? Because all of us can come in on a Sunday, and as we're going to read about elders or overseers, bishops, pastors, shepherds, in just a couple of minutes, we can all put on a good face. We can clean the outside of the vessel, as it were. But what we're talking about is how people act in the whole life of the church, in the household. Scripture paints this picture of a household for us for a good reason. I know that in my household, there are moments of great peace and tranquility, usually when everyone's asleep. There are moments when we're doing family devotions where everyone is listening. And there are moments when we're doing family devotions where we're all pulling our hair out, okay? This is true. Life in a household is chaotic. Life in a household can be dangerous, right? Life in the household of the church is no different. And yet, no matter what the situation is, we are called to act in a certain way. And this is where Paul is taking us. Over the next two weeks, we're going to learn about two kinds of servants that have been given to the church. Using formal language, we could use the word office, okay? That sounds really boring. It sounds like a room that you go to. But an office would just be a role that has been given to someone. So using formal language, we'll say two offices given to the church as gifts. The idea being that the people who fill these offices will be a blessing to the church, will assist the church on her mission, uh, and will serve the body and bride of Christ in such a way as to hold up the good news and the people that have received that good news. Uh, In our church's confession of faith, here's what it says about these two offices. The only necessary offices found in Scripture are elders, or pastors, and deacons, whose qualifications, claims, and duties are defined in the New Testament. That's a very short, simple acknowledgement that when the Bible, uh, that when the church needs people to serve it, we can look to the Bible for what the church needs. And then specifically, we can look to the Bible about these two roles, these two offices that we're going to be reading about this week and next, um, to to tell us, to give us some clues about what the, the quality of those people should be, what the character of those people should look like. Today, we read about overseers. And that may sound like a strange word, because it is. Um, But anytime the New Testament, uh, anytime in the New Testament, when we read about overseers or bishops or pastors or shepherds, we're actually reading the same word or description of the word. So today, as we read about overseer, you can replace that word with whatever word you want to, but an overseer is a pastor. Now, with that in mind, let's read our passage for today, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, 
An overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Why is Paul telling Timothy this? We could actually skip forward to 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 15, and we see this. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave or should behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And that is the word of the Lord. So, why though is Paul writing about elder, overseer, pastor, bishop, shepherd? Um, Why is this important? Why is he doing it? Because if he doesn't come to Timothy in a timely manner, if he's not able to, he needs Timothy to know what kind of men should replace these false teachers that we've already heard about. So remember, it's a letter written to a specific church, specific time, specific place, and yet God, through the Holy Spirit, has made it possible for these things to be applied in all cultures, at all times, in all places. He starts with a saying that Timothy should consider. He says this saying is trustworthy. He's, He's giving Timothy a bit of a mantra Okay, so that when he goes out and he's looking for men in the church that could fill this role, that he has this in his mind. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, just in this first verse, this first sentence, there's so many things that we need to see and many things that are going to be very important. The rest of the list It's all important. Don't get me wrong. Some of the things we'll spend more time on than others. And yet, they're kind of self-explanatory. When someone says not a drunkard, you can fill in the blanks about what that looks like. Now, culture to culture, that's going to look a little bit different. And family to family, that's going to look a little bit different. But... Um, here's what we need to get out of this first sentence, or here are a couple things that we need to get out of it. First, if someone wants this job, this task, this role of overseer, Timothy, you have to know that it is an honorable thing to want. It's good to want this task because it's a good work. Okay, It's something that's good that's set out before someone by God. 
Paul does not say that if someone has always wanted to do this job, you should let them give it a try. He doesn't say that. Also, if someone really wants this job um, and they just heard about it yesterday, you probably shouldn't give them a try, right? <laughs> okay. Um, it is something that, in fact, though, that you have to want. Are we, are we following there? If someone is desiring this task, that is, you have to desire the task of overseer, of elder, of pastor. And yet, here's another thing that I think we should take away from this. If anyone aspires to this office, I don't know about you, but growing up, I always looked at my pastor and thought, this man must be the man of God. Right? Hopefully, that person is a godly man. And we're going to see that as we go through this list of attributes today. But the reality is that this person is filling a role or an office. It's a task that's been given to the person to do. That, the, the whole um, idea of a pastor being the person's identity is not a good or safe thing for the body of Christ or for the person themselves. Um, let, me, let me give you an idea of what this looks like and what this means, okay? Uh, where I'm going with this, because this can be taken too far. Of course, if I'm your pastor, I hope that I'm owning up to the fact that I'm your pastor, right? I want to take that in as a part of my identity. And yet the reality is, um, I know a lot of people that pastored for a period of time, maybe they retired, maybe they were disgraced, whatever the case may be, and from then on, no matter what, they are known of as pastor. That's probably not wise or good all of the time, right? Also, I used to be a lot of different things, okay? Let me think about my favorite job, my least favorite job. I used to be called a baker, right? Because I was a baker. I love doing this. I took it on as a part of my identity. If you were to say now that Wade is a baker, I would say, yeah, right. I don't have time to bake anymore. And that makes me sad, okay? That makes me sad. And yet it's okay. Why? Because being a baker is not a part of my identity. I also used to clean uh, toilets for a, a city's parks, okay? Um, that actually wasn't a bad job, except for the people that I worked with were awful. Okay? <laughs> Was it disgusting? Yes. But did I want to introduce myself as, hello, I'm Wade, toilet cleaner. No, I didn't, right? I was a government employee, and there were lots of other things that I did on top of that. Okay, where am I going with this? We have to understand that the job of pastor is more than that in a sense, and yet it is just that. It is a job. It is a role. It is an office that someone fills. Someone can be disqualified from that job. And that's what this list is. As we go through this list, you might say, whew, man, that's a, that must be a good person. That's a tall order. But I hope as we talk through it, you might look through it and say, actually, that's just a good man. That's actually not that high 
of a threshold for the office of pastor. In fact, there's many things more that you should expect from a pastor as well. Okay, I probably didn't do as good of a job with this whole identity issue, except for I'll just leave it at this. For me, for you, our identity should always first and foremost be found in who we are in Christ. You are a Christian redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That is your primary identity, Christian. And then there are other things that God has given to you. Your family. He's also given you to be a part of a church body. He's given you places to be out in this world, whether it's employment or places of leisure. And all of those things can be identifying markers for you. But first and foremost, you are a Christian saved by Jesus. Now, the task of shepherding is not noble because it gives honor. You've probably seen many preachers like this. that They call themselves a preacher or teacher, and now they demand your respect and honor. Nowhere in the world, other than in the church, do I know a, a place where that works like that, right? If you go and get a job somewhere... It's going to be expected of you that you will have someone's respect probably until you lose it, right? Or maybe you might have to even work for someone's respect. When someone comes through these doors, I would expect them to look at me and say, this person could be totally crazy and maybe I shouldn't listen to them. That's a safe thing to assume, okay? That's a safe thing to assume. So the task of shepherding is not noble because it gives honor but because someone should understand that they are being honored and humbled by God to receive that office, that task, from God's people. Also, it is noble because we will see that there are virtues. That's an old word. Virtues could simply mean good habits. Okay, good habits built into someone's life. Hopefully, for us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Virtues that someone must have if they want to take on this role. And lastly, it's a task. That means it is work. It is not a privileged role that leads to respect and influence. It is work. Um, This might be a little coarse, but it's like... (laughs) It's like unstopping spiritual toilets, okay? Each and every week, all of us, including myself, come in here to church being preached at by the world all week being preached all different kinds of things, the world is going to tell you, you are good enough. Just forgive yourself. Or the world is going to tell you, you're not good enough. Work harder. Or the world is going to tell you, you are useful because of the way you look or what your body does. Or you are useful because of what your brain does. Or you are useful because what you do for me. All week, that is being fed into you. And all week, through TV, which I enjoy, movies, which I enjoy, radio, music, whatever the case may be, there are things being put into our brains that are blocking out the good news of the gospel. 
And that's why each and every week we need to be reminded of what it is that we have in Christ. And so if someone is not aspiring or working toward reaching up to, growing to the point that they could take on that kind of office, that concept of work, of unplugging spiritual toilets, they're probably not looking at the role properly. Okay? There's more I could say about that first verse, but let's keep moving. So because of all of this, Paul says that the person who fills this role then must be, and here comes our list. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's do it. Above reproach. Now, above reproach, that sounds a bit strange. It's a catch-all term, if you want to say it like that. It's kind of a heading for everything that's going to follow afterwards. Essentially saying, if someone's going to fill the role of pastor, these are things that could disqualify them. So the person must be above reproach. It doesn't mean that you don't have critics, but it does mean that hopefully no one has something against you. It's not like a political drama where someone always has that one piece of information, that one photo, that one voice recording that could sink the person. That's what we're talking about. That that voice recording, that photo, isn't out there. Okay? Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that there's not forgiveness for things. And we need to go back and we can talk about that later. Um, Also, as I go through this, I hope that you have questions about some of these things. Because different cultures are going to see some of these things differently. Alright? And different church cultures are going to need and expect different things from their pastor. And that's okay. He must be a husband of one wife. Okay, so what are we getting at here? I've said the word he multiple times. Okay. He must be a husband of one wife. Ladies, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This does exclude you. This is exclusive language that Scripture is using here. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Must be the husband of one wife. Now, what does this mean? Husband of one wife. Uh, Okay, quite simply, what it means. Okay? (laughs) You must be married to one woman. You must not be married to two women, three women, four women. You must be married to one woman. The, The language here does not cut out men necessarily that have been divorced. This does not cut out men that have been married multiple times due to a spouse dying, the language here does not cut that out. Um, Even though I read lots of different commentaries on God's Word, that is, other people writing about it, some of my favorite commentaries are ancient commentaries from church leaders and pastors that came from between the years 200 and 1000, okay? Um, I have this great commentary, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Because uh, oftentimes today, we get caught up on little things, and we start asking lots of little questions. Whereas back then, um, the questions were a lot more simple. Okay, And I like reading these commentaries for this reason. In fact, one of the commentators on this verse, on this part, was saying, 
Uh, yeah, no, it's fine if they've been given a bill of divorce and if it's for this reason, uh, this reason or this reason, great. Uh, if their spouse has died, it's fine. But if they have a woman on the side, the answer is no. That's what the commentator was saying. Right? It, kind of clear cut, right? Now, in our world today, this does look a little bit different with issues of pornography, with issues of you fill in the blank. This does get complicated. And yet this means exactly what it says. Essentially, a one-womaned man. A man who is dedicated to one woman. Must be sober-minded. Now, this has nothing to do with alcohol yet. Sober-minded simply means that the person thinks clearly on issues. That the person is not a fool. And the person's mind is not filled up with so many other things that they cannot think clearly. The person must be self-controlled. Um, respectable. I asked Tara this morning, since I didn't do my hair because I thought we were going to be outside, if I looked respectable. That's not what we're talking about necessarily, although some church cultures may ask that their pastor look more respectable than others, right? That's okay too. Um, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact, can you respect the person that's standing behind the podium, the lectern, the music stand, whatever the case may be. Now, you might say to yourself, who would go to a church where they can't respect the pastor? Answer, lots of people. Lots of people would. And I'm not... Don't misunderstand me. I'm not just trying to harp or, or give people a hard time this morning, all right? But this is a very serious issue that Paul is hitting at with Timothy. And we need to understand the seriousness of it. So, I see it all the time, actually. A church where there is a pastor, whatever he wants to call himself, whether it's bishop, elder, apostle, pastor, shepherd, whatever the case may be, and everyone is willing to give this person respect because of the office that they hold. Not because of who is in the office. For instance, this often looks like churches where you have multiple elders and all of the elders, all the pastors, are vying, working towards getting the lead guy out of the position so that they can then become a pastor of a church. Or, so that they can get angry with the person up front, take a part of that church with them, and go off and make their own church. Right? If this is someone's reason for being under a certain kind of shepherd, because, look, if they're just under that person long enough, they know that they too will begin to start their own church where they can then start collecting money from people. That's not a good reason to be in a church. That is not being under a leader who is respectable. Keep in mind, though, too, that this also means the way that someone handles the Word of God. If someone handles the Word of God disrespectfully, then that is not a respectable person in the sense that they should not be shepherding. He must be hospitable. 
Hospitable can mean um, taking in people from the church, but it also just means welcoming strangers. Okay? This can deal with evangelism. This can deal with maybe having people over to your home. This can be inviting yourself into other people's homes, giving gifts, whatever the case may be. Must be hospitable. Able to teach. Able to teach. Um, I know a lot of men who are really good men who might not be able to teach. And that's okay. That does mean that maybe they should not be an overseer, elder, shepherd, pastor, whatever words you want to put in there. Not a drunkard. Um, Now, again, this is one of those cultural things that is going to be very different per culture, per family, so on and so forth. I do love one writer from the year 400. He was saying, though, that when he was going around to different churches and and seeing whether he could uh, classify that pastor as a drunkard, he he used this phrase, um, that if the person, because they they would greet with holy kisses, right? If the person was instead giving you a taste of the alcohol that he had been drinking, instead of the taste of a holy kiss, then that person was probably a drunkard. (laughs) What did he mean by this? He meant, look, if this person has to get a little bit of alcohol in them to be around their family, to be around church members, to go do this thing, to go do that thing, that means they're probably a drunk. All right? Um, now, there are some churches that will say that the pastor cannot drink. That's fine. That's not for me to say. That's not in any of our church's documents. Um, but we should take this seriously. Not a drunkard. That is not having to get a bit of alcohol in you all the time to get anything done. Right? Um, you could begin to narrow that down however else you would like to um, But as far as the text of Scripture goes, that's the direction it's pointing in. And I don't want to go beyond that right now. Not violent, but gentle. Not violent, but gentle. The actual word in the Greek here is not a striker. Um, And what that term is pointing at is someone that doesn't lash out. Physically, verbally, emotionally, you get the idea. All right? So not a, not a striker, not violent, but gentle. Um, I also loved one of the ancient commenta- commentators said, look, it doesn't mean that <laughs> when the situation calls for it that you can't hit someone. <laughs> Which I thought, okay, that's not the pastor I'm looking for, okay? Not the pastor I'm looking for. Um, you, the person has to have themselves emotionally under control. They have to have themselves emotionally under control. And they have to be able to work with people in such a way that they do not violently have to control them. All right? Not quarrelsome. Not always looking for a fight. So that when anyone in the church has a problem, the pastor doesn't say, well, if you were in my shoes, right? Oh, that's how you read that verse? No, not like that. Not always looking for a fight. Not a lover of money. You know, throughout the New Testament, we have passages where God's people are asked to freely give so that the pastor can be paid and not have to seek outside employment. 
It doesn't mean that he can't. It doesn't mean that some churches, that that's going to be necessary. But that is asked of us to try to work towards that in Scripture. Now, if you have a pastor that is freely willing to accept the gifts of God's people, but not freely willing to give of his excess as well, this is called a lover of money. Someone that's taking up three offerings, that is a lover of money. I'll never forget, um, we went, when Tara and I moved here in 2009, we went and visited a church, and everything seemed cool. Everything seemed on the level. They took the offering up at the beginning, great. Um, sang a couple songs, then we took another offering up, and then we heard the preach, halfway through the preach, the baskets were passed. Again, to take another offering up. And then at the end of the service, the baskets were in the back so that you could give more offering as you left. Um, This is not only a lover of money, but someone that has created a culture in a church where everyone is is a lover of money. This is unhealthy. This is sinful. This is wrong. This is against the Bible. This is actually anti-Christ. Okay. Able to manage his own household. (laughs) Um, This is why I don't show hospitality anymore. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Okay. Um, Someone that is able to manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Um, Now, once again, we've talked about this when it comes to husbands and wives. This term submissive. Um, I don't know. I don't always like thinking about it in terms like this. Um, It doesn't mean that your children have to agree with you on everything, especially as they get older. What it does mean is that your children can be agreeable with you. That they can be agreeable with you. That maybe they think differently than you do, even. And yet, they're willing to say, Dad, I'm going to go along with you in this. Um, this does not mean that all the children must, you know, somehow live up to the standards of the, what the church deems as being saved. Okay? Keeping the children agreeable and doing this with dignity. Doing it with dignity. Along with managing the household well. Why, though? And I find this interesting because these next couple of things Paul is saying to Timothy before he just listed things off. And the idea is, okay, this should be pretty, pretty self-explanatory. You don't want this type of person in front of the church. Um, but here he's actually going to give us reasons. And why for this one? Because if you can't keep one house, you shouldn't try to keep another house. This is why in verses 14 and 15, Paul is going to say it's the household of God. If someone cannot manage his own children, keep them agreeable in a sense, how would you expect them to be winsome and loving of other people? And yet, I think that if we probably, most people here, went back in the memory bank far enough or thought back to yesterday, you might know a pastor whose family is totally out of control, 
which that can happen sometimes. But then up in front of everything, in front of everyone, everything's fine. Look, it's okay to not be fine, too. It's okay to not be fine as well. But if you cannot keep one house, you should not try to keep another house. He must not be new to the faith. Now, we talk about this all the time, but look, I have the privilege of knowing a lot of different pastors throughout the world and um, knowing a lot of pastors uh, in our area of the Western Cape. And I know a lot of men who one day they saw the light and the next day they decided that they were a pastor. This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. Why? Um, Well, for lots of reasons, actually. Uh, One of those reasons being that you probably don't know anything about the faith. The second reason being, um, a lot of people that I know that are like this, the faith was once a feeling for them, and that feeling is going to wear off. Our faith is based upon a true fact in history. Certain blood bled for us on a hill outside of Jerusalem. That is where our faith lies. If that is not where all of someone's faith, trust, hope lies, then they're not even a convert and we should be concerned about that. But they should not be an easy, a, a, a new convert, someone new to the faith. Why? Because it is easy to become proud. To become proud and demanding and to fall like the devil himself did. We're going to see two references to Satan here, the first of which says says this, he might become puffed up with conceit or pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The devil is not the one doing the judgment here. Satan has been judged. And this kind of shepherd is falling into that same kind of judgment. This kind of leading, this kind of shepherding is... It's damnable, is what Paul's saying. It's damnable. And then we see our next reference to Satan. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. So that is people outside of the church and outside of the faith. You know what this also means? People outside of the faith know you. That you might actually be hospitable. That you might actually be evangelizing other people. So well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into the snare of the devil. And that, with that, we come to the end of our verses today. Okay, we come to the end of our verses. I drug that out a little bit and I did that on purpose. One, this is at least in part um, not my job description, right? That's not the job description but that is the kind of person that it takes to fill the role. Church, I hope that for you, I fill that role. And look, as a church plant, as we move forward, I pray and I'm working towards there being other people alongside of me that fill that role. And I'm working towards there being other people that I work alongside with who then replace me in that role. 
And with that said, the responsibility, church, is upon all of us to understand what that person should act like. Right? What that person's life should look like. You must know this, church. You must know this. And you must know this well, and and I'll tell you why. You know, when we studied 1 Peter together, um, Peter describes the person that is in that role as an under-shepherd. Okay? An under-shepherd who is above the chief, who is underneath the leading and the responsibility and the judgment of the chief shepherd, Jesus. Um, Now, where I come from, we don't have under-shepherds. We have sheepdogs, okay? Quite literally, I am to be a sheepdog, right? I'm getting in front of the flock. I'm leading. I'm getting behind the flock. I'm leading from behind. Um, I don't love the term church leadership. I don't love that term, okay? Because leadership would, would say that I somehow deserve some sort of following. And that's not what's happening, okay? Uh, leading in the sense of being a shepherd or a sheepdog, means that you are pushing people in one direction and showing them the way to go. Pushing people in a direction and showing them the way to go. This doesn't mean that I am the one being followed. This is not the description of a church leader. This is the description of a sheepdog. Okay? And one of my primary roles, in fact, my primary role and responsibility as an elder, as a pastor, as a bishop, as an overseer, as a sheepdog, is the biblical text. That is my primary role. This is a truly privileged and honored position. And it is a role of responsibility and weight. It is meant to be a role of self-sacrificing care for Christ's flock, primarily through the ministry of God's Word, and secondary, through other ways for caring for the flock. And in all of that, I am responsible to both the chief shepherd, Jesus, and I am responsible to you. And so, you actually have the authority to speak to me about these things. You actually have the authority to come to me and within reason say, Wade, I need this right now. I actually need you to pray for me right now. If you don't tell me these things, I would like to think that I am sober-minded, but I'm not always as sober-minded as I need to be. And I need your help with that. And the person that comes alongside of me and me alongside of them, the person that comes after me, they will need that from you as well. But my primary role each and every Sunday that we come together is to remind you of one thing. And that is to remind you of the fact that you have been rescued from Satan's sin, death, and hell that you have been rescued from yourself by the blood of Jesus. And that in that, this week, church, we have been called together as one household, as one body, 
and as one little tiny local picture of the greater church that we are a part of. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.